Quand tu descendras du ciel Avec tes jouets par milliers N'oublie pas mon petit soulier Mais avant de partir N'oublie pas de te couvrir Dehors tu vas attraper froid C'est un peu à cause de moi Introducing Passport People, a podcast where we talk to people about the places that matter to them. Uh, I am your podcast host, Finn, and today we are joined by the wonderful Melanie. Hello, Melanie. Hello. So, Melanie, for the large number of people listening to this who probably haven't heard of you, tell us about you. Well, I'm a filmmaker and I live in Edinburgh. Before that, I lived for a year in London to finish my master's. And uh, as you probably can know from my first name, I, I grew up in France for the largest period of my life, but I was born in Russia and I moved to France when I was a kid. Okay, um, so there's a lot there to sort of unpack in terms of, you know, bit of France, bit of Russia, now you're in Scotland. Where would you say in all of that you do consider yourself to be from as much as, you know, you can really answer that question? Well, I would say I'm French because this is the country I know the most and the one that I spend the most time in. Uh, yeah, I'd say the biggest part of me is French and I feel very European. After that, I'd probably say I'm from Paris, even though I lived only five years in the city. But I definitely spent the best Christmases in Strasbourg. Um, okay, and is Strasbourg where we're going to talk about today? Yeah. Lovely. Well, then without further ado, let's get into it. Right, um, so getting back to it, uh, for those of people listening who maybe have not heard of Strasbourg, where is Strasbourg relative to anything? If I was an alien coming down and I had absolutely no idea about anything in the world except maybe a random list of country names, where would I find Strasbourg? Well, you'll find Strasbourg in the northeast of France, at the border with Germany. It's in the region called Alsace-Lorraine, which is now called the Le Grand Est. And yeah, that's how you'll find it. And I hate to get fully sort of etymological or whatever that word is about it, but it's quite unusual for a French city to have the word Borg at the end of it. Whereas, I guess in, in German, 
it is more likely for there to to be a Berg at the end of the sentence. Is that because Strasbourg used to be uh, German? Well, Strasbourg used to be German until the uh, until the end of the First World War when France got that bit to itself because of the Treaty of Versailles. And during the Second World War, Strasbourg changed again and was German once again. And once the World War II, World War Two ended, it went back to being French. But yeah, that wasn't a French city at the beginning. Right. And so what does that mean today in terms of the relationships that people in that area have with Germany as a country? I mean, presumably with the German border right there, you must have had a regular relationship with Germany growing up. Well, everybody in Strasbourg goes to shop in Germany, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, and just, sorry, just to unpack that uh, for a moment, why exactly is that? Because things, food is cheaper in Germany, but German people come to France to buy uh, things like dishwashers be- because they're cheaper in France. Really? And it's very easy to cross the border. You don't have, even before... Even when uh, the you like, even if you go to Italy, sometimes you might be checked. But if you go to Germany, passing through Strasbourg by foot, by bus, or by car, you will never get checked. It just there's even no people in the um, on the border with Germany. No policemen, nothing. You can people just come and go. And. A- I assume that's Schengen-related. For any listeners out there who may not be from Europe or may not be exactly clear as to what Schengen is, can you just do a quick explanation about exactly how Schengen works and what it means and your feelings on it? Well, Schengen means that the countries and the borders between the countries in the European Union um, do not really exist, meaning that you can just cross, come and go as... You please as long as you're a European citizen, which is very practical. I mean, if you some people live in Germany and came were classmates with me in Strasbourg, some people live in France, work in Germany because it's so close and so easy to get to some of the close cities nearby. So, yeah, actually, it's good. You wouldn't want to have to get a visa or permission to enter a country you live just nearby. It wouldn't seem fair. And that, those regulations being in place, is that sort of post-World War II European Union, this, this desire for more European unity that is the reason that that's ultimately come well, about? Or just ease? or what? Europe, The European Union, the origin of the European Union, is, it was to improve relationships between France and Germany which mean that some of the industries like coal and steel were put together and f- neither France or Germany could actually make war to each other. That would just be not technically possible. These countries have been linked together at the creation of the European Union to avoid for war or future conflict. And... Um for, for those of you uh, who know about my, uh, my own relationship with Melanie, we have been to Strasbourg together and 
it's so easy to get uh, from Strasbourg into Germany that literally the tram system that is covering the sort of Strasbourg wider area will literally terminate in Germany. Uh, that's new. Huh? That's new. <laughs> you used to have to go to the terminus at the end, at one of the, the furthest end of the city on the tram, take a bus that would like get you to Germany, but yeah, the tram is the newest edition. It's like so hang on, that complicated journey that you just mm. uh, explained, did you used to do that yeah. a lot with your, yeah. with your friends? Not with my friends, with my mom. We used to go like shop in, uh, to, in Kel and go to the Russian shop there too and then we'll go back. And did I also have it right in my memories of kind of our pre-conversations ahead of recording today that you and your friends, or maybe not you and your friends, but maybe you and, well, your older sister would go clubbing in Germany. Now, is that a minimum age thing or is that a, it's cheaper there? No, is that you have, the clubs are better and there are more clubs than in Strasbourg once you've been to the two (laughs) <laughs> there is in the city center you can't really go anywhere else and Germany is the one easiest to get because even to go to the suburbs of Strasbourg and to other kind of smaller towns you need a car but you don't need a car to get to Germany you can get by the bus and just get back home with the first bus but a lot of friends and yes my older sister could get there and the, the alcohol is cheaper too <laughs> so that's why everybody used to go. Very important thing to know. Sticking on the um, sticking on the subject of alcohol and its cheapness, you were you were just mentioning the the Russian shop in Kell. Now, again, if I remember from the conversations we've had previously, there is quite a large Russian community in Strasbourg, which I guess to a certain extent has a bit of history about how you and your family eventually came to Strasbourg, which we'll get onto in a sec. But I guess the question I'm asking is, is there something about Strasbourg and that region that has attracted a lot of Russian people in particular? A direct flight. <laughs> <laughs> Almost direct. Hang on, a direct flight. Almost, well, but through, through Frankfurt, which was the easiest so way hang to get on. to France. And the... Im- it was easier to come to France from Germany uh, if you're coming from another country than to go to France directly to like Paris where you'll be turned down. So hang on, are we saying Moscow-Frankfurt is a very popular route Not for a popular people? route, but an easy one. Okay, as opposed to Moscow-London or Moscow-Paris. Moscow-Paris, or... there's too many people in Paris. Okay. And like even just at the Strasbourg is one of the first cities who got like language classes in Russian in middle schools or high schools and it has the first international high school which was the first which had the first Russian section until like 2013 something like that when they decided to open up Russian sections in like Paris international high school but before that Strasbourg was the only one. Which meant that if you were coming to Strasbourg, there were already a lot of things in place to kind of get you easily in the to learn French, to get you into the the way of life and kind of how to adapt. And because there was a 
already Russian-speaking people there, you could kind of still get a community around you. It's one of the the few places in France where you can you have an important role of the community, especially the Russians one because you don't when you arrive it's such a di different language and if you don't know your rights well, nobody's gonna tell them to you. So when your family, so I guess what that means is that when your family came to France, there was already this sense of even if your mum's French ability wasn't necessarily fantastic or particularly existent, that she could connect into something that already existed mm -hmm. and begin to feel like she was establishing herself and like she could make life work in a new city. Yeah, I mean, when we arrived, I think my my mum met one of her one of her like oldest friends group at the time who just arrived too and this is kind of the way you do it because when you arrive you have to do a lot of paperwork and a lot of you have a lot of immigration kind of associations and you you have to take french classes for free like it's just something you have to do when you arrive so you can meet a lot of the people there and otherwise just like sitting somewhere doing the paperwork you hear people speak and you kind of it kind of happens like that or even when my brother went to you can just say maternal on the recording i think we'll all we'll all live what is maternal actually i want to say it's like Nursing. how old are we talking like five it's like until five until five yeah pre-k we call it pre-k yeah, pre-k and uh, this is like one other kid was speaking French, uh, was speaking Russian, sorry. And like this is how he met him, then the parents met, and they're still friends today. It's interesting that already in this conversation we've kind of mixed French and Russian up twice. There are a lot of sort of cultural links between France and Russia in terms of the history and, and the arts and people traveling uh, from Russia to France after the revolution and the number of artists, Russian artists that have shown up in Paris and around France at various different points. Do you feel as somebody that kind of has a foot in both camps that you are part of that kind of cultural fusion that goes on or do you feel like Russia kind of represents an early part of your life but France represents a very separate very different part I'd say that there's no like today there's no real cultural fusion like what you're talking about would have been true in like the 19th century where all the nannies spoke French in Russia all the aristocracy used to speak French and all the artists and elite spoke French and went Pushkin was the first to actually write in Russian. And at the time, yeah, today there is kind of a feeling that stays because in Russia you can choose to study either English or French in school. But they took very different paths and because of the USSR and the country closing on to closing to the West and everything that happened, they still it's kind of coming back with people traveling, young people, the generation of like my sister, they have the money to travel, the ability, and yeah, the possibility of getting visas, which wasn't always possible. There is something that's changing, but it doesn't really exist 
as such as I think you kind of picture it. And you, you would see even when I was studying in the international high school with a lot of people who just arrived from Russia, for them it was very difficult to adapt because it's such a different culture. It's very much more traditional and there's a big sense of kind of community and staying with each other, staying with the people who speak Russian, still kind of trying to keep the customs and some of them that didn't make sense in the con new country you were living in. So I would say that sometimes for it can be like a clash of cultures and yeah. That's right. And because I'm kind of... I've kind of had both these things in, in what you've said, so I'm just trying to get a little bit of clarity. Would you say that since the fall of the USSR, and I forgive, forgive me because we will come back to Salzburg, but just to kind of wrap this side of the conversation up, would you say that since the fall of the USSR that Russia has ultimately become more integrated with this wider sense of what Europe is and does and means, or that it's actually distanced itself further from it? I'd say it kind of... I wouldn't say it became integrated or that it distanced itself because like in big cities, St. Petersburg or Moscow, like they have more access to Europe and what's happening, which they didn't have before. And I think that's what also created such a big difference uh, because they were just for so many years lived without no idea of what was happening outside of the country and that it hasn't been that long since USSR fell and Russia became Russia today and more opened on the world. But now it's just that young people are more interested and they have more possibility of going. So in a way, it kind of getting to a, a better understanding of each other, a better way of like meeting each other halfway and but I'd say in the small villages somewhere deep down in Russia, you might not have that. Right. It's, it's kind it's, of in the context of the different people and where they are. And on a, on a wider level, it's still quite a divided thing, basically. I'd say, yeah. It's just a, um, it's a work in progress. It, it hasn't, we don't have enough time like be we, we don't have enough to look back on to kind of say that it's this or that it's still going on and maybe in a two in two or three generations people will be able to look back and see yeah this is the road it's taking but it hasn't even been like 50 years you know that is true it's 30 Something i mean yeah like what can you tell in 30 years yeah. 30-year-olds out there, we know nothing about you. Um, to kind of begin leeway back towards Strasbourg, um, but doing so in the context of uh, your sister, who is older than you by about nine years? Yeah. Is that right? Nine years. I mean, so this is someone who would have grown up in Russia at its kind of early period of post-USSR slash Soviet Union existence and who would have come to Strasbourg with your family, having been a very class, I guess, a very classic Russian girl up to that point. I mean, obviously, we can't speak for her, and maybe it would be better to do a separate podcast with her in the future, but what was her transition to 
uh, Strasbourg-like. Well, she came. She didn't come with us. She came three years after us. So when she turned 18, this is when she came uh, to Strasbourg. But the difference is that she is Russian before anything else. And like when she arrived, she went to, she chose to go back to high school to learn French and to get uh, the baccalaureate. And she even told me like, oh yeah, at first she was going on with all the Russian style, with all the makeup and full face the way they still do it in Russia and how like it wasn't really what was done in France, how she would get sometimes funny looks or teachers might not actually appreciate it and how slowly she kind of also blended into it by toning stuff down or understanding that oh yeah maybe that's not how we do it here but even the way she speaks she will always speak with an accent she will always make some grammar mistakes that my brother and I don't because it's just more natural to us and if she speaks French, sometimes she would do it in a Russian way, meaning that she would choose words she would have chosen in Russian. When for me and my brother, it's the other way around. Right. So in a way, because you made that transition earlier in your life, as opposed to her who only made that transition later, you have kind of taken on the French roots that you sort of subsequently developed from it, as opposed to your sister who, for the record, you know, does speak fluent French and has worked in France for a good period of time, but who would, if we asked her where she was from, perhaps still consider herself yeah. Russian. Well, this is where she lived one still, I think, the longest time of her life, 18 years, and now she's 33, so it hasn't been, a, she hasn't lived in France for even half of her life yet. And... Uh, she definitely has stronger connections to Russia, but when I arrived to France, um, I learned to read in Russian as the, at the same time as I was learning to read in French. And my brother didn't even learn to read in Russian before much later in life. So it's a little bit different, a different kind of approach when we kind of had still the chance because I was six, he was five to just consider it natural, to learn it at the same time as French people do. We were just learning to read all at the same time. So there was no kind of difference or there was no one who was kind of ahead or having to catch up when you kind of do when you arrive much later and everybody already fully speaks the language and you have to cram into six months uh, the time most people had from birth, for example. So there's just it's kind of there's much more to catch up it is very complicated isn't it um to go and go back onto the sort of strasbourg specific stuff um strasbourg is the home of many international organizations um that certainly for me coming there for the first time i was very confused by what the difference was between all of them and what the difference was in what exactly they <laughs> did and as a Strasbourg resident, you know a lot more about this. So could you please explain it to me again and then also to the listeners? Well, you have the Parliament, the European Parliament, which is very easy, which everybody knows about. 
Does um, everyone know about it? Well, where the deputies kind of meet up six times a year. <laughs> the European Parliament, just to clarify, being the Parliament of the European Union. Um, they spend six months in Brussels, where is that kind of unofficial home? And all the important meetings happen in Strasbourg. And you have la Cour des droits de l'homme for all the European matters on human rights. You can actually sue a country as in an Strasbourg. individual. As an individual, if you go to la Cour des droits de l'homme for and says that some some of your human rights have been infringed by some of the con- European countries, you yeah, can actually sue them. It happened. Uh, on environmental matters, I think France got sued, Germany got sued. Like there was, some, there were some things happening there, and you also have the Council of, of Europe, which is a political—not political Europe, sorry—but geographical Europe, meaning that countries like Russia and different countries of the U.S. Uh, ex-countries of the USSR could have been uh, represented if someone sent. A deputy there. So, for example, your Azerbaijans, your yeah. Belaruses, uh, your Ukraines, yeah. that yeah. that lot, and that was what brought your family to Strasbourg. Yeah, my dad was representing the party for Chechen independence, as like there. And so, I guess this kind of this kind of brings a more full picture of your your family coming to Strasbourg and consequently the, the life that you had in Strasbourg as the kind of the family of effectively a diplomat. Um, what, what was that like? Was it, did it feel a lot of the time like mm. you were sort of with, kept to your own sort of culture, particularly with the number of Russians who were there? Or did it actually mean that there were all these nationalities and kids that were from everywhere and you kind of engaged with all of it? Or Not really like... You don't really attend any of the big... We were too young. Right. And so you don't, you don't see the difference. Like, we were going to school and having a lot of just friends like everybody else. The only difference you could get is when sometimes TV comes to see, Hey, look! And now we're going to film you playing! <laughs> you and your brother! Oh! And now play the piano! <laughs> Then you kind of see the difference. Or where we got our papers in two weeks. And even when I asked for French citizenship, they said the dates, it's not possible. But then you have to explain. My dad worked there, so they granted us uh, 10 years leave in two, uh, like, yeah, 10 years stay. And then uh, permanent residence in two, three weeks, which at the time was just not a realistic length of for the time you, for the process you had to go through or sometimes you would have officials from Russia coming and for example uh, the Dudaev's widow bought me my first porcelain doll and I had no idea who she was I heard she was just a friend and then it appears she was the wife of um, Jokar Dudaev which was one of the most famous Chechen president which my brother is named after <laughs> oh, I didn't know that that's where Jocker's name came from. I just assumed it was something to do with the tennis player. <laughs> but there you go. That's my level of ignorance for you. Um, so with 
everything that you've just said about kind of that relationship and all these international organizations coming together, did you feel growing up in Strasbourg that it felt like a sort of a very international, very European city or did it feel like a, a French city where these bits just kind of happened to be there? Not, it doesn't really feel like... Um... Well, it is a French city, but what I mean is you do have a lot of foreigners and Europeans and because of the schools I studied at, especially high school, I, I, most people had dual citizenship and were from somewhere else, so were half German or like, there was always another factor into it. I had half French, half Polish uh, best friends for a time. And the first time I actually had friends who were French for like generation was when I studied in uni in Paris, but before that I actually never knew anyone who was who wasn't have something else. So d despite it being a relatively small place, it's actually a very diverse place for the size of city that it is. Yeah, because you have all the European institutions and a lot of these people come with the kids and you have to have special schools to kind of make them able to learn one of their languages but still get some kind of education in the city for the time their parents will stay there and uh, it means that you have a lot of different citizen Europeans around and yeah it's a lot more diverse than you would think <laughs> um, and I guess that kind of brings me to what I guess is sort of the other side of the spectrum on sort of Strasbourg and what Strasbourg is, uh, which is the part where the region that Strasbourg is in is called Alsace-Lorraine. Yeah. Um, Alsace, aside from being the kind of name that inspired the dog, the Alsatian, um, just to clarify my little gag there about the dogs, um, Alsace is its own identity that isn't quite French and also isn't quite German. Can you just... Because you What's have, up with that? You have a dialect that is spoken, but right now more like by old people. And if you don't have Alsatian grandparents or grand-grandparents, well, you wouldn't know it. It's not something that's taught in schools, but because of the kind of mix and match between Germany and France, a lot of things kind of just merge together and, and create that kind of unique place, even in terms of laws for social security, bank holidays. We have extra bank holidays because of Germany and religious holidays, which doesn't happen in the rest of France because church and state are separate. And even in Alsace, for ha uh, the social security, your is um, at a higher percentage than the rest of France because it's how it is in Germany, and because of the links with Germany, they kind of kept that going. People were not ready to let go of that. And even in terms in schools, you are able to study in state schools religion of your like have a kind of two hours a week where you're gonna learn about religion or you can just choose to not have these two hours and learn about 
something else which were kind of civic stuff and things like that. Right, because... But, and priests, sorry, priests are paid by the state in, in uh, Alsace-Lorraine. Because the religion of the, or the average Alsatian, sorry to just go there, but the, the average religion is Protestant, Catholic? <laughs> I figured Both. this might be a complicated question. Both. Okay, like, so the French have... state pay for two different types I don't of know, priests. Two, all of the all the religions in there. They will okay. pay for kind of. They don't have really the choice, but I don't really know why. But I know one thing that we were taught in school that weirdly, except for Alsace in Alsace, nobody pays the a church. The church has to pay its own priests and everything. And in Alsace, because of the different link with religion and uh, probably how they got the <laughs> that region they just the state had to keep paying for it a lot of people are very religious um not then might not be all they might not all practice but a lot of people go through all the steps to the communion uh, have been baptized then go to like religious gatherings for kids, there's stuff like it. I've been to some of them, never went back. <laughs> and even like in the Protestant church, um, they, have, they had a party and you could learn how to write your name in Arabic. So you kind of have a lot of, a kind of a melting pot, even in Strasbourg you have a mosque somewhere, then you have la synagogue. And a lot of other churches, the Unorthodox Church, Protestant Church, uh, the Catholic Church, you just have it all. All the churches. You can just choose whichever you like. Uh, and I guess that kind of brings me to the question of how that translates into the politics that goes around. Because Strasbourg is obviously very, you know you know, very European and very and kind very of... Very far right. Well, and this is what I was going to say, is that the, the surrounding region is at the same time very sort of anti that. And it's interesting that in talking about this sort of Alsace identity, that on, on one hand we're talking about the Protestant and the Catholic side of it and this, you know, fierce kind of trying to hold on to this dialect that is Alsace and this identity that keeps them separate from the rest of France... But at the same time, there being this sense of, well, hang on, we've got people from all over the place here and all types of religions and immigrants are turning up here. There's nothing we can do to stop that. And what does that mean politically for living in the city, living in the region? You never know if you live in the city, like, or even in the closest suburbs, you don't really notice it. But I guess if you, I think, from what some friends told me, it's if when you go to the villages around Strasbourg, and then you're like, yeah, they're very conservative. Because the city in itself, they, they don't really vote that far right, because they have a lot of people. And knowing that also a lot of these people, they can't vote. They're not French, so they can't vote. And um, the average age of the population in Strasbourg is around 40. So it's not a very oh, really? yeah, it's not a very young 
population is a population made of families, of people working like in kind of high salaries and having it's kind of very middle upper middle class but if you live in Strasbourg you never you would never guess that a lot of, a lot of people are voting around for Marine Le Pen you wouldn't notice it there's just not I wouldn't there's no open racism or um, they've been some acts sometimes I know in Strasbourg some like terrorist acts sometimes but it's not a day-to-day -day thing because of all the things that are in place to welcome immigrants to make sure they learn the language you hear you can feel it sometimes in institutions with people taking your appointments but it's never something that's that you will feel from the people you're interacting with not more than anywhere else but yeah if you go to the villages it's just old people mainly <laughs> so i mean i'm sorry but it's like if you go to the to my grandmother's village most of them have never seen a foreigner in their life so what do you expect but hang on just just to unpack that for a second so the average age in strasbourg is 40. yeah the average age in the villages around Strasbourg um, is significantly <laughs> older. Do you have any insight as to why that is? Is it just as soon as families grow up and they have their kids, the parents just want to move out to the sticks? Or is it that, uh, I don't know, that, you know, it's an, a, being a diplomat in Strasbourg is an attractive prospect and then... I don't know, at a certain point, possibly coinciding with the kids growing up, the, the diplomats have to go back home or they prefer to well, go and live back home? Or, or what is it that's at the heart of that data? If you're a diplomat first, you're in office for a certain number of years and then uh, your visa runs out and you have to go. If you're not European, if you're like international. From other, in other parts of the world, you have to go back. Um... And most of the international kids, they just either go back to the country to study because uh, the specialty is better there or for whatever reasons, or everybody goes to Paris, or we even had in high school the possibility of taking exams for Oxford and Cambridge in the high school, that there were partnerships to do that. And uh, yeah, just people, a lot, unless you have... You were born there and grew up there. A lot of people, young people leave. But it's a very good place to be if you have a family. Uh, we were living for until I was 14 in Schiltigheim, which is in a suburb of Strasbourg. But I could go to music school. It was across the road. I could go by foot. I used to go to primary school and back home by foot with my brother because it was just very calm. And we could just go to the park with our friends on our own quite quickly because nothing happens. Nothing. People kind of would look out for you. They would, and all the kids would do the same. Dance school was also within walking distance. I mean, it just... The, the only time I had to take the bus was when uh, I went to middle school. And even then, at 11, my mom let me, to take, let me take the bus on my own with... As long as I texted her, but it wouldn't happen in bigger cities. You would be much, 
it would be much more scary and then dangerous, I guess. But here, just it's quite safe. You wouldn't ver- you wouldn't feel scared or. So hang on, are, are you suggesting from what you're saying there that most people who call Strasbourg home at some point call it their home on a temporary basis? That it's it's quite a rare thing for somebody to sort of be born in Strasbourg, grow up in Strasbourg, and then for them and their family to just be Strasbourg-based forever and ever and ever. I don't, like, I know there are people, there are. I have friends who are still in Strasbourg, who still live there and who might never move out. But from the people I studied with, a lot, like, you do want to see something else. It's like my sister, she loves working in Paris, but she says that if she has a family, she would she would really love to move back to Strasbourg because just the quality of life and everything is just much better when you have a family. A lot of people do kind of move, move because they come for, for, for the European institutions because parents work there and sometimes they just stay until they finish their education. But I had some people, I know some people who moved back, even my sister's best friend. She stayed, but her parents moved back to Italy. But she stayed to finish uh, her university there, and she now she is now a French a French citizen. But her parents, for example, went back to Italy. So it kind of it really depends. But it's like anywhere in France, you do want to see something else. You do want to go to the capital. You want it. You never say that you will not come back, but at some point you do need to see the world right of course it's interesting to see exactly how many contrasts there are within Strasbourg that I mean what would you say was the the sort of percentage breakdown of the families you interacted with who stayed in Strasbourg versus those that kind of left at a certain point Oh, I'd say there are a lot of people who stay, like, still. I have some um, friends who grew up there who are still either studying or working and starting to build their life there. It's just that because of the schools I went to, I had the other uh, side. I, I mainly saw people working and then... Uh, planning to live somewhere else in in another European country, or going back to their to the country of their parents or the countries they kind of moved moved from to move to France while their parents are working. So I I wouldn't say I would give you a good percentage because of the way I grew up. Right. But I also know there are a lot of people who just who were born there, who grew up there, and whose families have been there for generations. Right. So you do have the both sides of the spectrum, but it just because you will not always meet them. Like my brother probably met more of them. He studied in a French high school, so he probably had a better insight in this than I did. So hang on, your brother studied at a French high school whilst you studied at the international one. Yeah. He didn't have the level of... Uh, and in, he didn't speak Russian well enough to go through the entrance exam of the international high school, which is a state school, but you have to go through 
a written and oral exam to get in. In Russian? In Russian, in the language you choose for um, your section. Like you can choose to go into the Italian section, Russian section, English section, uh, po uh, Polish search, uh, section, German section, any kind of... But you have to do an exam in that. Well, why would he not exam. go for the French section then? There's no French section. Oh, because it's international, Unless yes. you want to do an option that you're... The high school of your neighborhood doesn't have, you can't access. Goodness like I had me. some some friends, I had a few friends who were, who, oh, there's also a theater section, kind of all performing arts stuff. <laughs> and so yes. either you did that or the languages or you kind English, of did... English, German, Polish, you, Russian, drama. <laughs> yeah. So hang on, were the classes taught in, in the different languages? Well, I had, you have all the French normal um, stuff like math, science, um, French, in French, but then you have in your own language literature, history, geography, and uh, with the Russian section, we had grammar. <laughs> Four hours on the Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> hey, Russian grammar is probably complicated. I I can't so say because I don't speak it, but yeah, probably you'd spend is. ten to twelve hours with your section per week. Goodness me! I mean, so effectively, that school was running five different schools kind of. under the same roof. I mean, wow! Credit where credit is due. If that's the route that you want to go down. Um, to come back to you a little bit, um, you mentioned slightly earlier about your French citizenship. Yeah. You are, you are now a French citizen. You have been able to come to the UK and live and work here Without on your French that. citizenship. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and, uh, you know, have been able to experience uh, studying here and now working here on the back of doing that. What was your process towards getting that? Because obviously when you first entered France, you were not a French citizen. Um, that was how. <laughs> really? Is, I thought getting um, French citizenship was easy. You need to live 10 years at least. Or like, we had to live 10 years, but my sister got it after five years. <gasps> Why? The law was different and uh, she was an adult. Like, she arrived just before her 18th birthday, which she was still considered as a minor. And after five years, because at the time, you didn't have to have, like, a, a stable job to apply for citizenship, which you do now. She got it while she was studying. But because me and my brother, we were still minors, we depended on my mom. And um, when my mom applied for citizenship... It was refused because she was divorcing my dad, who was still going back to Russia, so he didn't have the five years. And even though he didn't apply, they treated us as a family. 
and not as just like these three apply for citizenship so we didn't get it and at the time then my just my mom told us to wait until we turn 18 which when you first have to apply with all the elements of your file uh, me and my brother we were treated differently because we were six when we arrived but since i think 2011 2012 you need to have um a stable job okay so we had a different status so it meant that we kind of it didn't apply to us at the time even though the law has already passed and you have to go through medical visit to prove that you were healthy which was a bit of a joke we lived in the country for more than 10 years at that point so if we were sick they would know and <laughs> They just, they, he didn't even check mine. He just like, he saw the French carnet santé. He saw the kind of, oh yeah, you've been here for ages ago. So you did a medical check. You, did, you do at 18 when you apply, you have a medical check. You have a French exam. It's for designed for people who just arrived and after kind of language classes, which was, uh, which is like, oh, I can see the Eiffel Tower. This is my favorite monument in France. <laughs> or like name for monuments, French monuments. You're like, is, it, is this a joke? And they kind of, well, still ask you what you want to do. What are you doing? Which was completely irrelevant for me and my brother because we grew up there. There was just no difference. And, but it's something you have to do, then you have to get a bunch of papers together. Like we had to go back to our primary school and say, hey guys, can you just make us for every year a paper? Even though we had all the school reports, a paper stating that we actually studied there, even though we have all this for school reports to prove it. So you have to basically prove how long you've been and what you've been doing and how well you've been integrating into the French culture. My brother and I, we were nicely they told us we didn't have to go through the life in France and uh, stuff like that but we had to go through French history to like I studied it in primary school which was made by a guy who wasn't who was also like a foreigner but I think they did that because um, they wanted people to feel comfortable you did that with people who just arrived in in France, who just moved, who don't speak French, and you're like, yes, but that date is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have, um, at La Préfecture, you have a kind of an interview uh, with someone who checked your all your files and kind of asked you a lot of questions, like, who's the prime minister? Who's the president? Uh, are you willing? Are you planning to move to to move back to your country? What is the first lyric of La Marseillaise? No, they don't uh, ask that to you. But they like should. my brother, they asked him, "Oh, would you be ready to enroll in the army if we were at war?" And he, when he <laughs> went out of it, he told that to me, and he said, "I said yes." Because, of course, then they, they would be like, oh, yeah, we don't want you, but if we need you in the army, yes! <laughs> we'll Are you serious? <laughs> Goodness me. But it's kind of, oh, or would you be willing to vote? Would <laughs> you go online? Or things like, yeah, what are your plans? And 
I guess it kind of makes sense when you've just arrived. They just want to see if you're going to stay in the country, if you're actually planning probably on getting a job or something. But for people who just, we grew up there, it was a bit artificial and a bit stupid. Basically, it's kind of a year-long process because if you you just didn't submit one paper, they throw the file back at you and tell you to come back in six months. We're now about just over an hour into the recording of this podcast and we haven't explained to our listeners the part where um actually this episode is our christmas special for a reason that you will have noticed when you downloaded this episode and maybe melanie you can explain why we picked the strasbourg episode as the christmas special episode because there's the christmas market in strasbourg which is one of the oldest. And Strasbourg is the Christmas capital of Europe. It's on our trams every December. <laughs> so it must be true. But you have a big Christmas market that's been here for like centuries. And every... From like the, the last week of November, you it begins to the... To, it used to be the 31st of December, but now it's, it looks more like it's until the 24th or 25th, depending on the years. But it takes over the whole city. So you have a lot of stores all around the city that you can walk around and you have food, drinks and traditional objects of all kinds and even handmade Christmas um, toys and stuff for your Christmas tree. Now, I definitely need a little bit of explaining on this. When I think of Christmas, you just called uh, Strasbourg the Christmas capital of Europe. Now, when I, and I think when most people think of Christmas market, we think of the German Christmas markets. Now, over the course of this uh, conversation, we've talked about A, how close Strasbourg specifically is to the German border, but the cultural similarities and the Alsace thing that gets thrown in there as well. What exactly is the story with Strasbourg having oh. this market? Well, it's a German market. I so so it, it, it does began, exist as a kind of remnant from when it was way, German. Yeah, way before uh, Strasbourg was French. And even if you walk around Strasbourg, you'll see that all the street names are both in French and uh, I think it's German. So um, there is... The, the German heritage that is still here and even on what is sold, a lot of the food um, from Germany, some specialties are German and um, all kind of alsatian a mix, a mix between France and Germany and a lot of everything that, that is there has been there for so long and it just, it, it has probably evolved but you have at its roots kind of all the traditional things you could have found. And so would you say that the reason that the, that the local government continue to put the amount of effort that they do into, aside from the obvious economic boost that it gives the local area, is the, um, the fact that it is a tradition and it is yeah. something that they've been doing just... forever and ever and that it can transcend the sort of national boundaries of German versus French versus Alsatian to just be this thing that belongs to Strasbourg. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't understand why they would stop. There's no reason for it. 
and it's very also very famous. It's one of the best Christmas markets you could find in France because because of this traditional vibe and the idea like for example all the stores have been there since I was six. Like none of them has changed. Maybe the people who own them changed, but they've been selling pretty much the same things. And I can always at the same place where I find the small the people selling the small cats, the fake cats. I will still find them and I used to buy one every year. And then if you stop it like well it would just lose its all of its charm. And this is where Strasbourg is just well, it's mainly in the city centre too, where people would whereas there is there are a lot of tourists. And it's not just the Christmas market, it's all the decorations, all the big Christmas tree. You kind of start putting up beginning of November, then they get it all lit up and all pretty by the end of November. It's such a big thing that they do get a French celebrity for the for lighting it up of the first, on the first day of the Christmas market. <laughs> And uh, with my kind of cynical English traveller hat on, I'm thinking, well, but isn't it just another one of those overpriced Christmas markets? Well, first, it's not overpriced because uh, everybody comes to buy the uh, mariage party, which is cheaper than in the shop. So that cannot be overpriced. And you can find a lot of things for very cheap and even just the food. If you go to Paris, you'll have it for six euros. If you go to Strasbourg, you'll have some of it for three, four euros. It's not like super expensive. It's kind of average price. It's sometimes even cheaper if you, than if you went in a kind of cafe to get the same thing. It's much. And even like the ice ring, it's like maybe four to five euros well it used to be in when i was a kid right now i don't know but it was much uh, much cheaper than in loads of other places it's interesting actually because on the trip last year where um where we did go to the christmas market we consequently also went to to berlin very soon after so we had the opportunity to sort of contrast and compare the two christmas markets going on and I found it quite interesting that despite the fact that things tend to be cheaper in Germany than in France, that first of all, the prices were way better in Strasbourg than they were in Berlin, which again, maybe because Berlin is a big city. Yeah, um, and, you know, with Strasbourg, I think ev because it's smaller, everything is also slightly more centralized. And so there's much more opportunity to sort of be competitive with prices of things. But... The other thing that I noted about that Christmas market is that it gets a perfect balance of the German element and the French element. You can be having, uh, oh goodness, what's that amazing potato thing? Oh, or, spatzle or something. Yes, like spatzle. There we go. Ah, spatzle. You can be having spatzle one moment as your sort of main lunch course and then get a crepe with... Mm. Uh, salted caramel in it like right after it, it's amazing the way that it kind of gets those two things uh together and um yeah it's it's really astounding to see because i think i certainly wouldn't have known about how special it is as a christmas market and how unique it is from 
the sort of more famous German ones until uh, until I was brought there. So any of you who are looking to go to a Christmas market, maybe next year, definitely consider Strasbourg. But we do have a lot of like tourists who stop on their way to Germany in Strasbourg for the Christmas market, or people who travel from Paris to Strasbourg for the Christmas market. I mean, they should just stop in Strasbourg. Really. And everybody knows, like, a lot of tourists I met, when you talk to them about France, if you talk about Christmas, they, t- they will tell you themselves about the Christmas market in Strasbourg. I will also say I am definitely uh, skewed by the magic of Strasbourg because to, to tell my Christmas tale from last year, it's Christmas Eve night 2018. And Melanie and I are getting ready uh, to go downstairs for dinner because we're having Christmas Eve dinner with her family. And outside the window, we can hear this singing going on. And sure enough, it's two, three women with like what must be 20 school children (laughs) just outside a shop singing all the big Christmas carol hits just randomly on the, the Grand Rue, which is the, the kind of central main uh, high street. And you just looked at it and you were like, wow, this is every perfect Christmas illusion you have ever heard of all come true. And you also have every year the Christmas market an invited country. Oh, really? They have the ability to showcase the what they do the food, any kind of art they want to show. You know, when we went, it was Finland. Yes. Um, I, I don't know what country it is this year, but, but to whichever country it is. So when Armenia was once, uh, Spain, they invited Spain a few years back. And what exactly do they do as part well, of the market? As part of the, well, they have uh, the Place Gutenberg all to themselves. And usually they offer some traditional food, some traditional drink. Um, some people from the country come to kind of showcase things they do, like it can be leather bags. All the different fun bits, basically. And uh, sometimes you also have all the tourist, tourism information in one stand, if you ever wanted to go or something like that. Our apologies uh, to anybody who heard <laughs> meowing. In that, uh, that last answer, there is a cat in uh, the lovely house that we are recording in. And the cat has been very cooperative over the course of this recording. But uh, we did eventually need to let it out. So, speed of business, mm-hmm. peek behind the curtain, we have now dealt with the cat. And not in a, we've topped it off way, <laughs> in a, the cat has been let outside to go and do its thing. So... We've mentioned the Christmas market um, and its Germanic roots and what it means to Strasbourg as a place. Obviously, when your family came, you were a Russian family that kind of settled in France. And then during the Christmas period, there is this market going on. But at the same time, you're also living in a place where there are a lot of Russian people. And obviously, you know, as... A Russian family, you'll you'll have had your own traditions that you celebrated. What did that ultimately mean in terms of how you and your family treated the festive season? 
Well, in Russia, you don't celebrate Christmas like uh, in uh, other countries. You celebrate mainly New Year's and you celebrate in January all kind of Christmas, what used to be Christmas in the old calendar. Uh, in the old calendar, yeah. So you will get sometimes chocolates at Christmas, but you'll get the big dinner and presents and everybody will dress up for um, New Year's. And all the even just uh, TV programs are ta tailored towards New Year's and that time of the year. And we started celebrating Christmas because we moved to France. In the beginning, we used just to have like a meal with either my mom's friends or sometimes like, yeah, just coming together for that because none of us had grandparents in the country. And But we still used to get our presents and have the kind of big celebration on New Year's but because we were growing up in France we kind of did half half sometimes or sometimes get all our presents on Christmas and get smaller things for New Year's. Um, usually uh, the dinner would be a smaller version of the New Year's one. <laughs> Almost a sort of rehearsal kind for of, the main event. You'll get, sometimes we would celebrate at my mom's friends so You'll get still the same meals. You you won't really, you won't really get like traditional French until my, um, until we had like uh, uh, a stepdad who was very European and uh, so which meant like he was more into traditional stuff than we were. We used to have only Russian food for both Christmas and New Year's. We'll basically finish eating it off around New Year's and uh, eat the same thing again on New Year's for the next, the week after. But I guess the other nice thing about it is that it means that in a way, because your family kind of saw New Year's as the biggest celebration and the rest of the city view Christmas as the biggest celebration, in a way you kind of got two celebrations for oh, the yeah. price of one, really. Yeah, and I mean, I guess, you know, it was just... You know, Christmas is kind of the warm-up for what is ultimately the really big celebration six odd days later, really. Yeah, which most of the time we'll watch French TV on Christmas and then the Russian TV for New Year's. France, in general, is a culinary hotbed. Some of the most amazing food in the world is French. Is the local food in Alsace-Lorraine mostly similar to the typical French cuisine? Well, if or? you go to Alsace, you need to try um, the tarte flambée. Or a flamen couche, if you happen to see and, that uh, instead. The kind of, the cabbage with, um, I think it's some sausage or something like that. But there is this famous dish with uh, cabbage that you can, um, that needs to be specially prepared a day or two in advance that you can get in a few restaurants or as my mom says you need to have it homemade or it's not as good because they will not make it the proper way but it's basically cabbage with meat and um, that's the only difference otherwise you just have the same things as as in the other places maybe there might be I don't know really there might be a slight difference in the Christmas biscuits because we have the German version of it. I mean, I did and kind of... And we make of it up them at school, at school, every Christmas. <laughs> wow, they really start those kids on early, don't they? 
But otherwise you have the same songs. Um, is there a certain quiche, Lorraine, that also is unique to the region? Or is that no. not, is that not technically? I don't know exactly the history about the quiche Lorraine, but you eat it pretty much anywhere. Okay, so it's not, despite the fact that it's called Alsace-Lorraine, the quiche is not from... Um, it might be, I'm not saying it's not, I'm saying that you'll find it anywhere. It kind of made its way into the idea of French cuisine that you have, and you will find it in any French restaurant. But you might not find a ca- cabbage and sausage, That's, that might not be a thing. You'll or a flamenkuche. You definitely in Strasbourg. You definitely can't find top flambe. <sighs> anywhere else but you can make them <laughs> they're easy to make with a wrap onions and bacon contact melanie tutukova <laughs> for anybody hoping to get the recipe <laughs> on that um what does the future hold for strasbourg do you think it's going to be a lot of continuing what already exists do you think that as the European Union and as this concept of what it means to be international transforms, that it might also mean other things for Strasbourg? I don't know, because it doesn't look like the European Union is going to change. And when you live in Strasbourg, what we are taught is we are European. You don't think about, oh, you're only French. It's just Europe is something you grew up in. And it's not something you're going to question. So I don't... I don't know how much it's going to change. I'm not sure a lot is going to change for Strasbourg. I know that Brussels is trying to get like the four year in Brussels and not getting the six months to Strasbourg because it's just uh, annoying for them. But apart from that, I think things will pretty much stay the same. But still in a beautiful city. Um, And then for anyone who has listened to this episode and who's maybe listened to the Christmas market stuff and maybe just thought about, you know, their love of Europe and wanting to do a trip that takes advantage of that. What is the thing that they absolutely must do if they go to Strasbourg? Well, if you go to Strasbourg, you need to see the cathedral. And now they opened up uh, the high bit that you can go in with the stairs and see you have the... The view of the city, if you go when it's the Christmas market, you need to go in the small house where they built like this fake house in the city center with all the handmade Christmas stuff. And it's really nice and really beautiful. And uh, you probably spend a lot of money there. But that's the, that's probably the most expensive thing in, in that Christmas market. But also try the orange juice with uh, honey or the hot wine. It's good wine really good wine not like in any other christmas markets or any kind of uh, food all the sweets very good tested and approved <laughs> anything will just be so good. rest of the and year then, so rest of the year visit the cathedral christmas time do the christmas market do the, but you can also do the cathedral everything is open anyway i'm just also the european just giving bits. people options for if they happen to go in and may if they're in may they will well, if they go on the 8th of May, they'll be able to visit the parliament. And there are these open door thing when they can even get a European flag on, painted on their faces. And write on a big wall what Europe means to them. So Brexit voters, there's your next holiday opportunity. 
all sorted for you. Um, Melanie, thank you so much for being a guest on Passport People. Um, before you go, I'd like to give you the opportunity to tell people how they can get in contact with you, how they can see your work, how they can engage with you. Basically, this is your chance to plug yourself if and how you want to. And if you don't, I will just tell you all that Melanie is an amazing filmmaker and that um, you can... Do you want to say anything? Can we do that part once I get my website sorted? Okay. <laughs> Probably by the time you listen to this episode, she will have a website sorted. She now has a reason to get a website sorted. So if you type Melanie Tutakova filmmaker into Google, by the time you hear this, something will probably come up. Right. Melanie, I will allow you to sing one Christmas song in recognition of the fact that this is our Christmas episode. Merry Christmas, Melanie. Take us home. Petit Papa Noël, quand tu descendras du ciel, avec tes jouets par milliers, N'oublie pas mon petit soulier. And that's all you're going to get. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Passport People. You've been listening to Passport People. The music was by Harry Bongo and the cover art was by Maya Pires. Learn more about us by visiting our Island Life Productions Facebook page or by visiting our website at islandlifeproductions.com.